Welcome to Jags Drive Time with John Osher and Brian Sexton. Sexton. Jags Drive Time starts right now. Good morning. From TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville, it's time for Jags Drive Time. Brian Sexton along with John Osier. After a week away in Indianapolis, we are back in Jacks. And um, about the time we got done talking about this show yesterday, news broke that we were anticipating but weren't quite sure when was going to happen. So let's lead with that today, John. And that is the news that Calvin Ridley was reinstated by the National Football League. And he issued this statement for everybody and it's just kind of what we thought it would be he can't wait to get here he wants to show everybody what kind of person and player he is and that the mistake of the past the gambling is over and done with sounds like he's as motivated to be here as his future teammates and coaches and the Jaguars fan base is to have him here yeah there was a lot of angst over this in the last few weeks I got I got a ton of emails talking about Every day that goes by, I'm more and more nervous. It's always hard to predict the timing of these things with the commissioner's office because it is a story that usually does not have very many sources leaking, if you follow me. Sure. Uh, because it is confined to the commissioner's office. So if Goodell doesn't tell people what he's planning to do, then the Rappaports and the Schefters of the world don't really get, hey, expect this on a certain date. They, they get the news first, usually, but... the there's not a lot of, hey, the word is it will come down X date. It made sense. I believed it would be before the start of the new league year, after the combine, once they get back in town, all that. Um, so never really anything to worry about on this. In terms of what he brings, in terms of how I expect him to approach it, this is a case, Brian, where it seems like maybe social media was a real positive in the sense that every time you saw Calvin Ridley talking on social media from the time that trade happened, it was Jaguars positive during the playoff run. Uh, you have heard different things about the kind of shape he's in. So I think Jaguars fans paying attention are right to be excited, not only about the talent, but about the approach of the player. And I, I'm assuming we'll find out more coming days and weeks. Yeah, and the Jaguars knew to some degree that he was going to be reinstated. They wouldn't have made the right, deal. Right, they didn't know the timing. I had but... a long-time scouting buddy tell me, hey, look, nobody makes the deal and gives up draft picks for a player if the league says, eh, we're not sure about right. this. But you're right. Timing was the variable there. When would he get back? It well, became the reason the... it would be before the start of the new right. league Right, there was year. no reason to push it back. You were either going to let him in or you weren't. Because generally speaking, uh, you know, people think of the league – as this dark figure that is mean on something like this, the league wants success stories. You bet. So they were not going to further punish the player of the team by dragging this out. You know, if you drag it into April, you know, 30th say, well, then the team doesn't know how to draw, you know, what's going on with the draft. If you push past free agency, then the team it's fair to the team if you're going to let the player back right. to let him back so that you can do proper business, especially when it's been a year that he's been suspended. Punishment served. Let's see what happens next. Well, shortly after they traded for him, and we'll get on to big things momentarily, shortly after they traded for him, there were all sorts of players in the locker room who knew him. They worked out with him pre-draft. They knew him from South Florida. Yeah, Christian the, Kirk knows him really well. The least, not the least among them, is Christian right. Kirk. And Kirk is such a solid guy that when he speaks – 
it's hard not to take him completely at face value. And he said he's a good guy who made a mistake. Yeah, and, and I have not – I talked to Christian briefly about him. I was not around Cam Robinson when he talked about him. My understanding is him and Cam are, are, are tight or know each other well from Alabama. My understanding is Cam spoke very highly of him as well. I don't know if words in Cam's mouth wasn't there, but that's my understanding. Everything you've heard, uh, Bucky Brooks, our uh, Jaguars media analyst, also has connections uh, with Ridley and knows his people well. Everybody speaks very highly of his preparation, character, etc. Uh, made a mistake, has paid for it. See what happens next. All right, let's roll into big things. And it all comes from last week at the Combine, where the topic was Doug and Trent. And Charles Davis stopped by your show last week, Drive Time, from Indianapolis to share his thoughts on year one with the two gentlemen working together. What Jacksonville did in one season's time, what Doug Peterson and his staff did in assessing what they were getting coming in in terms of how to relate to players and what players needed from them to start it all off, they needed a chance to trust this new group. And they did all of that. Now you put it all together and they've been accumulating talent. It wasn't just last year's draft. They've been accumulating talent for a while and it's all paid off. And each of the gentlemen spoke last week at the Combine, and Doug talked about the heart of the roster, and that's the locker room. I feel like we got the right guys, the right makeup, the chemistry, the locker room is solid, and those are the things you build on. You know, that's the momentum that you're talking about with those guys right there. And guys that have been in Jacksonville, you know, and, and, and they've, they've kind of gone through some tough times, and now... You know, this past year, they, they got on the other side of that. And so that's the challenge now of keeping that rolling uh, as we head into 23. And from Trent's perspective, as we turn to big thing number three, the focus becomes the draft, which is what the Combine is all about. And it's what the Jaguars are all about. Now, close to the salary cap this year and with the roster, you just heard the head coach say they believe they've got the right guys. Through the draft now, they will build and find guys to fill in gaps where they need them and help build this thing. Well, the benefits are you get a chance to keep a lot of good football players. And, you know, at, at some point, most teams in the league have had to do that. If you look at the number, I think there's only one team that hasn't pushed any money out into future years. You just got to be very diligent in, in the decisions that you make and who you make those decisions for. So, Tread Balky talking about using the salary cap to keep players, but having to use the draft to go and find new players. In short, John, last week in Indianapolis was a different experience covering the draft than you've had with the number one draft pick the last couple of years. Yeah, I can't remember the last time. It feels like maybe 2018, which makes sense because you won, uh, was the last time you really had a uh, a newsless offseason. And, and when I say there's obviously news, but in terms of not building up to a big splash. In 19, you had Nick Foles. In, in 20, you were releasing a lot of guys you know, or, or trading a lot of guys. But then active in free agency the last couple of years. Um, we've been talking about it all year, that, that this was coming. A, a, a quieter, uh, more maintaining free agency period. It's what you have to have. And I think um, Trent would probably laugh when he said not spending very much money because they're spending money on their own guys and they're restructuring guys. It means they're paying out signing bonuses. 
Uh, they're trying to get a deal done with Evan Ingram that would be signing. You know, teams can be active in free agency and not active over other people's players. You're still trying to win. You're still trying to do it. But the reality is you can't live long-term and have any continuity doing what they've done the last couple of years. I think Trent Ball could be the first to say, the approach of the last couple of years was by necessity. And because there was no other choice, um, the remarkable thing, Brian, is that they managed to build what feels like a core doing it that way. That's very rare, but you've got to pull off of that and get into what they're doing now. Hey, we should touch on the fact that it was reported last week that the Jaguars were going to be willing to use the franchise tag on Evan Ingram. In fact, Trent Baalke said that at his season-ending press conference in January. And today, we know that they're going to apply the tag. Mm -hmm. It's the deadline. But it's not the deadline to get a deal done, a long-term, cap-friendly deal. They've got plenty of time to get that done. July 15th is the deadline for that. Yeah, you wonder, and they understandably don't talk about this publicly, if, if you get a long-term deal done with Evan Ingram, then you can bring that initial cap figure way down from the $11 million. I don't know exactly what It helps you if to. you want to try to get Juwan Taylor done, which is why right. there's probably a concerted effort to get that done in the next week. Yeah, and then with, with Juwan Taylor, the cap figure, if they franchise him, would be 18. It doesn't feel like that's in the water to do. But if you get a long-term deal done, it's very possible you get both cap figures low enough in the initial and then start pushing stuff out. There's going to be decisions down the road based on these things. But for right now, I think they're in good shape. It's just a matter of can they make the Jawan Taylor deal get done. I'm not feeling it, but we'll see. And everything, by the way, is filtered through the lens of the quarterback who they can redo mm -hmm. after next season. And when I say I'm not feeling with Jawan, I think they want him back. Well, yeah. And everybody would love him back. But I'm just saying Juwan, in terms of getting it done, that – it's tricky because money talks. If you're Juwan, you're interested in what the market bears because offensive tackles are among the highest paid players in the National Football League in recent seasons. All right, we'll take a break. John and JP were in Indianapolis last week. They talked to a number of folks, and we'll talk about what they said and what they're saying when Jags Drive Time returns. He can be better, you know, and, and that's the challenge that, that we'll have for him uh, when he gets back in in April, and, and uh, I know that'll be the, 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 the challenge that he'll put on himself to, to play and, and, and be, a, be a better, you know, uh, version of himself moving forward. When you talk about the Jaguars, it begins right there. Quarterback Trevor Lawrence, and I'm sure last week that's all anybody wanted to talk about when, from a national perspective, they sat down with you. Yeah, and... That's the reality of what they're doing. As everybody who follows the league understands, as they, as they build this roster and go out into the future, right now it's sort of about everything in Trevor. In a couple of years, it's going to be about Trevor and everything, if you follow me. It, yep. it, it'll be Trevor first, and then at some point Trevor has to become, uh, it's almost not fair to ask this yet, but with the cap you have to do it. At some point it will become a situation where, just like in Kansas City, it's, Patrick Mahomes, one key player in Travis Kelsey, maybe another on defense, but then everything else starts getting very minimal around the quarterback, and you've got to have superstar quarterback with a roster of support that he can lift. Um, and if you're looking for a reason to believe in that, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl the same year they traded Tyreek Hill. Oh, right. Who but led the NFL in receiving yards this it's, year. 
it's not, I mean, it doesn't sound easy, but it's not an easy thing to ask. Yeah. And not every quarterback can do it. Trevor has the game, the personality, et cetera. But, uh, you know, that will be a difficult, and that will, and that will become the storyline as time goes forward. Um, you can't not talk about Trevor Lawrence. It's interesting. The perspective was uh, what a remarkable change from one year to the other, and just interesting how that became such a given in one year. Questions last year. Now there's no question in anybody's mind that this kid is a franchise player. All right, let's start with Greg Cosell, who stopped by and visited with you last week, and his thoughts on the Jaguars' young franchise signal caller. I learned years and years ago from Dick Vermeil, and he said that when you draft a quarterback number one, the entire organization, and he's talking about the janitors, he's talking about everybody in the organization, the objective has to be to make that guy a great player. And clearly, that was the approach they took this year. They did some really good things with him that helped. They, he needed to be sped up. He was very deliberate in everything he did. He's a, he's a big kid who's a long strider. So you need to shorten his strides. You need to quicken his drop, quicken his set, quicken his delivery. And when you combine that with the nature of the offense, which is more quick rhythm throws, that had to all work together. And they did a masterful job with that. When you look at that position and how long the Jaguars have been working to find something that they could believe in, I go back to Blaine Gabbard, who they took number nine overall in 2011, or, or Blake Bortles, they took number three overall mm -hmm. in 2014. They never got to where this kid is right now, which is, all right, we have our quarterback. Well, I think the intriguing thing is, um, and I believe in it, believed in it a long time before Doug started talking about it, but once Doug started talking about it, it just felt like there's almost no way it's not going to happen. The improvement that's expected from Trevor next year with the second year in, in uh, Peterson's offense, the second year working with these guys, uh, meaning Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, and they bring Ridley into the mix. Um, I think next year we have a chance to have a very good gauge over what he will really be. Right now we think he's going to be great. We think we know what it looks like. What level can he reach? I think we'll have a much better sample size next year after you see him in the second year in this offense. It's, uh, you know, I would say think about the difference between the first half of the season and the second half of the season and then multiply that difference with the ability to have an offseason where you're thinking about the offense, you're taking things out, putting things in, muscle memory, all that stuff. Next year is the gauge year to me. And it helps to have a familiarity to have Zay Jones and Christian Kirk and Travis Etienne and Evan Ingram. And the thought all along was he wasn't going to be able to go anywhere this next year. The Jaguars were looking to lock him up. As you know now, they have applied the franchise tag. And last week, Charles Davis stopped by and visited with J.P. Shadrick. All things being equal, where, why would you want to be anywhere else? You just had the best year of your career. Yep. You have a young quarterback there. You got a coach and staff that believes in you. If you don't think this is the place to be, well, if someone comes with a crazy offer, I get all that. I'm not. I don't deal with people's money. That's their issue. I said it. I'll say it again. All things being equal, this is the spot for him where he can continue to blossom. And you know, I didn't think it was a coincidence that one of the biggest plays of the entire season was his touchdown catch at the end of the first half 
against the Chargers. And you see that look in his eye as he sits there on the field, and that's the spark. In fact, here it is right now. The spark that got the – well, that was the one in uh, in September. But it got him back very into – white for a night. Yeah, it, it got him back into the game. And he's just that intense player, and to have the – the relationship with the quarterback, and both of them want to work together another year. John, to get Evan Ingram back is as important as any step I think this team takes this offseason. Well, you know, the insight I can give is it was so striking getting to know Evan a little bit and learning um, his sincerity about wanting to be here. And all... (laughs) Most players at the end of seasons where they're free agents, they'll usually say they, they want to come back to a place because they're talking to the media. It's very rare for a guy to come out and say, I don't want to be here. This place stinks. You know, even when the Jaguars were struggling at times, you heard players say it. Evan clearly wanted to be here. You saw the uh, connection that he had with guys in the locker room. Um, I don't know if he said this per se, but in conversations I had with him, I got the impression his experience in New York was difficult. Uh, I, I think that made him appreciate his experience here more. Uh, he's a very thoughtful kid. Uh, understands now the NFL after being in it for a long time. So there's no doubt he wanted to be here. Um, the interesting story from the San Diego or the uh, Los Angeles game. I remember talking to him afterward, right after the game. And he said, basically, when they're down 27 nothing, he, he just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play every play as hard as I can, leave it all on the field and see what happens. And then he looked around and saw other teammates doing that, and, and it just sort of built on it. I, I don't want to say Evan was the reason for that comeback, but I think that attitude and his approach in that game uh, sort of shows how much he fits here, if you will, and how much he's about what they're doing here. So bringing Evan Ingram back with Kirk, with Zay Jones, to give that familiarity in year number two in Doug Peterson's system. And then there's this lightning bolt named Calvin Ridley, who, as we told you off the top of the show, and you probably already knew, was reinstated by the league yesterday. Cinder Froyland from the NFL Network offered her thoughts last week during Jags Drive Time. So if you're adding a guy like Calvin Ridley, who since his days at Alabama was a pristine route runner, it's it's so reliable. Like in and I say that in like the sexiest way possible, mm-hmm. right? Like it's it's great to know exactly where your wide receiver is going to be at the moment that you need sure. him to be there. Yeah, that's Cindy made a good point with that. Um, and I think that above anything else is where. As soon as he gets used to this offense, I don't know if it'll be there the first game, but on third and six, there were moments last year where Trevor Lawrence, it felt like he had that rapport with Christian Kirk. I uh, knew exactly where he was going to be, and the, I thought in 2022 offseason, that was a huge re- reason for bringing Kirk in, to give him a reliable weapon that he could trust. You add one more into that. I'm not, I'm not saying he doesn't have that with Zay Jones and uh, – Evan Ingram, but it was special with Christian all season. Give you one more guy like that, all you know. They were good on third and manageable last year. You become great in those situations. The difference in points, all of a sudden, you get four to six more points a game out of that. That's a huge difference. Now you're in Kansas City territory. Yeah, and I, and about 28, 29 points a game. I don't want to put them at that level yet, but 
They have as many weapons, it would seem. There are weapons. Yeah. And uh, that's why I say this this jump, this third year, this second year under Peterson, um, you could be sitting on something special. Here. I think they have the weapons. Now the offensive line has to take it up a notch. If you mm-hmm. watch that Kansas City game over and over like I have, you see that the interior three of their offensive line dominated the point of attack once Mahomes got injured in the playoffs. Um, but there's a lot of reason to believe that with the weapons they've got, they can do something like that. All right, when we come back, we'll dive into the Ozone mailbag. We call it Ozone Snapshot here on Jags Drive Time on a Tuesday morning in March, leading up towards the beginning of the new league year next week. We're back right after this. This broadcast is Ozone Friendly. Ozone. Welcome back to Jags Drive Time. Brian Sexton, John Osier from TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville. Time for the Ozone Mailbag, and we'll go right to a question. Howard from Homestead, who wants to talk about Juwan Taylor's contract and wondering if it wouldn't be the tougher one to negotiate and why they didn't use the salary cap and the franchise tag to help them with that. Yeah, and it's always tough because the details of these negotiations – aren't something we're privy to. So you sort of assume certain things. Um, the reason they don't use the tag on Jawan Taylor is there's a big difference between $18.3 million and, and, and $11.3 million, or, or $11 million, whatever uh, Evan Ingram's number is. That $7 million, when you're trying to work it under the cap, uh, means a great deal. I think they want Jawan Taylor back. I think, realistically, they knew that a tight end's contract and a tight end's cap number makes more sense in what they're trying to do. Uh, they love them both back. But you have to make a choice in these things, and the more palpable cap number was right. the $11 million. And, and just to underscore that, you mean it's more palpable in case they sign it and have to play under it, right? Because right. You can, if you could renegotiate Evan Ingram and get him down from 11, great. But sure. if you can't, and that seems to be one that's much easier to do. Mm-hmm. But if Juwan Taylor hits a snag in his contract negotiations all the way up to July 15th. Well, then all of a sudden you got to sit on 18.1. Mm-hmm. It's, that's where it really becomes tricky. Also a little bit of an element here of, you know, you have Walker Little on the roster. Yeah, and that's why you drafted him. And so if you you don't really have Evan Ingram-like thing on the roster beyond that. You can draft it, but it's more unknown. So and By the way— There's never— one factor that comes into play here, even though people always want cut and dry answers. And and they're talking about keeping the core together, but you don't always get to do that. And at some point, the reason that you draft Walker Little is because you understand that you've got two tackles, one of whom you might not be able to keep. Right. That's what draft and develop is. Okay, Juwan's going to want $19 million bucks a year. We've got to pay the quarterback. We've got Walker Little. He's going into year three. It might not work that way this year, but you always have to have those jars on the shelf guys that are ready to step in and play when you have to let free agents go. On to our second question, and this one from Box Cutter Bill. Sense a little sarcasm here. Does it look like we'll be getting at least one compensatory pick that all the fans have been clamoring for? I hope we use it to draft the punter of the future. I think what he's saying is don't let Juwan Taylor go here. Who cares about a compensatory pick? Yeah, and it's sometimes hard to tell with Box Cutter Bill exactly what he's getting at. But um, that's my impression of it. Uh, compensatory picks for people who don't really know how it works. Uh, you will get a compensatory pick. Say you lose Jawan Taylor and don't pursue any other free agents. Yeah. 
then your compensatory formula is such that you probably get a pick at the end of the third round next yeah, year, twenty twenty four. Right. So uh, it's become sort of a big deal. Uh, I think people associate compensatory picks with being a good team. My sense is it's a little more of a. Uh, I don't know that you become a good team because of compensatory picks. I think good teams typically get compensatory picks, if you follow me. It helps with salary cap and roster management. Well, yeah, and you get them because you're performing well and you have drafted and developed well. Give me a choice. I've always thought the actual selection was a little overrated. And when I say that, I mean you're giving up Jawan Taylor. In this scenario, I don't know if they're going to give up Jawan Taylor, but say you give it Jawan Taylor and your reward is a third-round pick. Well, if you put both those on the table, I'm going to take Juwan Taylor. Because you know what the third round pick, yeah. because I know what he is. Now, if you're really good drafting, you can turn that into something. But usually you get the third round pick for a player who's been, who's been paid like a first round guy. So let's just not do so much celebrating of compensatory picks. The reason they're good is it usually shows you have drafted well and have been in a position to allow players to leave. It's it's a result of being good. I don't know if it makes you good. Two quick thoughts on that. One, it used to be that compensatory picks were where they were and you had to use them. Now you can trade them, right? True. That gives you a little more flexibility. And you know, Tom Brady was a compensatory pick. So you can find great players, but that speaks to what you were talking about, and that is you have to use them wisely and draft well. That'll do it for Ozone Snapchat. Uh, snapshot, when we come back... We'll take a quick look at one more piece of business from Indy that kind of portends towards Arizona and the NFL owners meetings coming up in a couple of weeks. Back after this to finish up Jags drive time. Well, you can move the freight with Magellan. You can also work there. They were voted the coolest office space in Jacksonville. Apply online at MagellanLogistics.com and sign on to help them move the freight. One final segment here on Jags Drive Time with Brian and John. Uh, next week, start of the new league year. Uh, week after, maybe two weeks after. Um, owners meetings in Arizona. And I thought it was an interesting conversation that you had on three key issues. And here they are coming up at the owners meetings from the uh, competitory committee. Uh, pardon me. Competition mm-hmm. committee. That's the, uh, the viability of that rugby-style scrum where you're pushing the quarterback from behind. The emergency quarterback, as we found out during that playoff game in uh, between Buffalo and Miami, and, uh, and, and of course, San Francisco as well. Um, and then the roughing review. These are three issues. Did you get any sense talking to people last week on where these are going to come out? Yeah, well, a little bit. Uh, the rugby-style scrum is, it, is the Eagles' play where they push the quarterback. Um, I'm surprised that it hasn't come to this already. It used to be you couldn't push from behind. Right. And then all of a sudden that rule went away one year, and I, w- I wasn't even aware that it had gone away, and all of a sudden you saw people doing it. I think the league will do something to prevent that because of the potential for injury. It's not as extreme as the onside kick with collision, but they don't like when you set up a – basically the way to stop a rugby-style scrum is to get a bunch of people on the other side and have and high push. contact. Yeah. They won't like that for a safety issue more than anything else, I think. So I'd be surprised if that lasts much longer. The emergency quarterback, I I think there's a big sentiment where, you know, there was a little bit of complaining after that. Well, 
you can keep a third quarterback if you want. That's a two. So, uh, shame on the 49ers for not having it. And I don't mean to throw them out as the only team that does that. But if you don't recall in the AFC, pardon me, NFC Championship game, they were down to they couldn't do anything. Right. But, okay, Their so, third quarterback got hurt. So now you're making a rule to protect teams from themselves. Yeah. Um, I, I think most people in the league would say we have the ability to keep a third. Uh, let's just do it. And, and in the last one, the roughing the passer, um, I think it's the – I'm not sure who uh, proposed it, but there's a proposal on the table to make roughing the passer reviewable. Kansas City was um, in on that after the Chris Jones plug. I think it's, it's, it, it's as pointless as making pass interference uh, reviewable because they, they did that a couple of years back, and it, it still comes down to judgment somewhere – you're moving judgment on the field to the booth, somebody's still going to make a call on it. So I didn't sense that there's very much movement once you get that into competition committee. Teams sometimes push for things where the competition committee are people who deal with rules all the time and they know how it really plays out. If you make that rule reviewable, meaning roughing the passer, you are not going to solve the controversy issues and you're not any closer to actually getting it right because you still have somebody in the booth trying to make a decision that's a judgment call. So I doubt that gets changed. Things to follow from the owners' meetings coming up at the tail end of March. That'll do it for Jags Drive Time on a Tuesday morning. Happy Hour comes your way on Thursday at 4 o'clock with J.P. Shadrick and Jeff Lagerman. Have a great day, everybody.